If you haven't been paying attention for the past year or so, or if you just came out of a coma, you already know that CBD is what's hot in the streets these days when it comes to treating a wide variety of ailments like chronic pain, the inability to sleep, and the crippling anxiety that comes with dealing with human existence in the 21st century. There are no shortages of places to pick up CBD, but as someone who has trouble trusting the product sold at my local smoothie shop, I found myself turning to CBD.com for most of my needs. CBD.com was founded by some established entrepreneurs who set out to create what they've dubbed the Amazon of CBD. CBD.com offers a ton of products from a wide range of brands that help with a variety of benefits. Head to CBD.com to see for yourself. That's C-B-D-E-E.com for all your CBD needs. And now, back to Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, The Entourage Podcast. is coming to town. Welcome back, everybody, to Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, the Entourage podcast. It's your boy, J.R. Hickey. One year of Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah in the books. Feels good. Thank you to everyone that's listened consistently since day one. It was just a year ago, December 15th, or maybe December 17th of 2018, that I dropped the first episode, breaking down the pilot episode of Entourage. And here we are. Three seasons later, tons of incredible guests, tons of incredible audio content, with more coming your way in 2020. But before we do that, we're winding down for the end of the year, so we're revisiting the voicemails episode. Just like a traditional radio call-in show, I'm going to be answering some questions that you guys submitted over the past couple of days about Entourage, about the show, about the podcast, some about my personal life too, which I always enjoy talking a little bit about. Apologies for the audio quality of my voice this week. I'm in a hotel room in Santa Monica, California. I was not able to bring my whole recording rig. I just have a small microphone and the room is a little echoey, so you know I'm a stickler about that, but I want to just give you the heads up. I recognize that my voice isn't its normal, smooth baritone that you guys are used to every Monday morning. Before we dive in, typical housekeeping stuff, follow the Instagram and Twitter account at ohyeahpod. I'm like fucking 20 followers away from 3,000 followers on Instagram. So if you haven't done that yet, just give me a courtesy follow. That'd mean a lot. If you haven't gotten me a Christmas gift yet, a five-star review is what I'm asking for on uh, on my list. So leave me a five-star review. I saw someone wrote a five-star review and got really mad at me because a year ago I had requested five-star reviews on Twitter and promised to Venmo people a dollar, which is hilarious because you guys have been super awesome with the five-star reviews and I think they come from a place of positivity and love for the show but to whoever that guy was uh, it was like a bit I was doing a year ago and uh, sorry that upset you so much so without further ado let's dive in got about 10 questions I'm going to try to get to here today the first question very relevant given what's happened in pop culture recently comes from our good friend Kyle Banduho Hey, JR, this is Kyle Banduho. Huge fan, love what you're doing with the podcast. In honor of Martin Scorsese's The Irishman coming out, my question for you is, if you had to take a role in a Scorsese movie, a meaty role, and replace that actor with Vincent Chase, what movie and what role would you pick? Thanks, I'll hang up and listen. Great question, Kyle. Sorry to hear you're not sounding like you're feeling very well right now. 
This question is right up Tiles Alley. As most of you know, he hosts a sports movie podcast called Bid Screen Sports, where he breaks down a new sports movie every week with a sports personality or guest. This is a timely question. As you mentioned, Scorsese's film The Irishman's out on Netflix now. Highly recommend you guys watch it if you haven't yet. Clocking at three and a half hours, it's it's a slog, but the performances are incredible. I really love Sebastian Manistato's character as um, Joey Dallow, or Joey the Blonde, as he's known. But anyways, good question. What character would you like to see Vincent Chase play in the Scorsese universe? So, a lot of you might think I'm going to say someone from The Departed. I had a running bid on Twitter for probably three years, where every time The Departed was on cable television, I would tweet that I was sitting down to watch it, uh, which I was not actually doing at the time. I had just scheduled a bunch of tweets ahead of time. That's how dedicated I am to my ridiculous fucking bits. So it's known from The Departed. Sorry to let you down. I actually have two nominations, to be honest with you. I guess the first one would be um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character in the 2004 film The Aviator. He plays Howard Hughes, the reclusive billionaire who tried to change film and aviation forever. Uh, I'd like to see Vinny tackle a role that has some mental illness involved in it, only to see how his mediocre acting chops would handle a role like that. Would he go method? Would, you know, would he even cut his hair for a role like that? Who knows? So that's my first nomination. But the real role that I think Vincent Chase would be best suited for in the Scorsese universe is a role from a movie called The Color of Money, which came out in 1986. Paul Newman, Tom Cruise, in a Martin Scorsese picture. He's got the eye, he's got the stroke, he's got the fling. Vincent's the best. We got a racehorse here, a thoroughbred. You make him feel good, I teach him how to run. I'm not your daddy, I'm not your boyfriend, so don't be playing games with me, I'm your partner. The film continues the story of pool hustler and state horse Edward Fast Eddie Felsen from the 1961 film The Hustler, starring Paul Newman and Tom Cruise as his pool protege Vincent Loria. So the film begins more than 25 years after the events of the 1961 film with the Paul Newman character. He's retired from the pool circuit. He decides he wants to return to the dame by taking on a pupil. He meets the talented but green Vincent Loria, played by Tom Cruise, and proposes a partnership. As they tour pool halls, Eddie teaches Vincent the tricks of stamming, but he eventually grows frustrated with Vincent's showboating antics, leading to an argument and a falling out. Eddie takes up playing pool again and soon crosses paths with Vincent as an opponent. Paul Newman won his only Academy Award for this performance. It was his first Oscar win after eight nominations. I'd love to see Vinny Chase play like a brash, cocky pool hustler. Have the Paul Newman character just like riding his ass, getting in his face. I think we've never really got to see Vince in like a cocky role. He always had this like subtle air of confidence about him, but I want to see him go like full dickhead. Not like Jordan Belfort, Wolf of Wall Street full dickhead, but I feel like Vinny like in some dark smoky pool halls with a pool cue in his hand. Who knows if he can even play pool well. You always see the guys shooting pool at the house, but you never know if he's got any actual still. So Tom Cruise, of course, like, went full fucking maniac and became, like, the best nine-ball player in the world in order to prepare for this movie. So, who knows if Vince would have that type of dedication, but we know he's at the pool table to start training on. Great question, Kyle. And when are you breaking down the color of money on big screen sports? Keep us posted. Next question. What's up, JR? This is Rob in Chicago. 
So over the summer, you did the Movies of Entourage episode with Kyle Van Duho. So make sure to go listen to that if you haven't, um, where you talked about the modern equivalents to movies and entourage. And what I want to know is what modern movies and TV shows would you like to see uh, Johnny Drama act in? Robbie H., good friend of the podcast, does a lot of behind-the-scenes work on the social media feed. Special shout-out to Robbie. Thank you for all the work that you do, man, and thank you for a great question. So the question is, what movies or TV shows would you want to see drama act in? I love these types of hypotheticals. I love them, especially because I know for a fact that if Johnny Drama was a real person, that he would still be acting to this day. I don't love the idea of drama being a film actor as much as I love him as a TV actor. And in 2019 or 2020, let's be honest, TV is just kind of the place to be. So I'm going to focus on that as opposed to, to straight up films. I could see drama playing an American contact or a spy in like an hour long thriller like Amazon's Jack Ryan. Maybe like John Krasinski has to take a call from his FBI contact based in New York and it's Johnny Drama. His character has been like undercover for years. He has got some insight into some sort of terrorist plot that he's been working on since 9-11. He's disgruntled. He's bitter. He's angry. He's Johnny Drama. That would be, in my opinion, like the pie in the sky best role for him. But if we're being honest, I'd also love to hear Drama's voice as like an animated character on BoJack Horseman. If you're not watching BoJack Horseman, it's the best animated show out there. Now, the obvious parallels between a show like that and Johnny Bananas are funny, but I think I'd like to see Drama voice a funnier animal, like a bear or an alligator, something that he can really like throw a lot of weight into. And uh, lastly, I need Johnny Drama on a reality show, like yesterday. Something with like fitness or cooking. Could you just imagine Johnny Drama on Top Chef or even The Amazing Race? How serious would Johnny Drama take The Amazing Race? Gotta have it. Great question, Robbie. Hey JR, this is TJ calling from Canada again with another tidbit about Entourage. Uh, the most expensive song to ever get licensed on an Entourage episode, if you believe it or not, is actually in the Vegas Baby episode. It's the Camp Low song called Lucini. When Johnny Drama's walking through the casino and they're playing Lucini, that's the most expensive song ever to actually get licensed on Entourage, more expensive than any of the Stones or any other of those old school rock songs. That is the most expensive one. That's from Scott Venner himself that said that. And the reason why it was so ex so expensive was because uh, Camplo didn't actually uh, uh, pay for the royalties for the sample when they first sampled the original song that they had. So they had to actually pay the original sampling party plus Camplo on top of that to actually get that song cleared for that episode. And that is uh, your entourage little tidbit. I always say that you guys are the most informed Entourage fans I've ever met. TJ, thank you for that fun fact about that song in the Vedas Baby Vedas episode. I had no idea. You seem to be a Scott Venner expert, so I need to turn to you for more music questions in the future. If you guys haven't listened to that episode of the podcast yet, I had comedian Matthew Broussard on, who is one of the funniest comedians working today. He's been on The Tonight Show. He's had a Tommy Central half hour. It was a great conversation. We were just like FaceTiming while he was in the green room at a comedy club in between like two of his sets. And he, he loved it. And I, I would love to have him back on, maybe in person, next time I'm in New York City. 
TJ, thank you for the fun fact. Always love hearing from a very agitated Entourage fan like yourself. It's Joe from Long Island, New York. Huge fan of the pod. Listen to it every Monday morning on my way to work. Um, was just watching season 3A, uh, the finale episode. Sorry, Ari. Wanted to know, what is your favorite finale episode out of all the seasons and why? As we know all too well on this podcast, in the end, it all tends to work out. And Entourage has had a lot of endings. Eight, to be exact. Great question, Joe. So my favorite finale episode of Entourage. So before I talk about that, let's go back and quickly recap each season finale for you guys. So just get some context. So eight seasons of the show, eight season finales. In season one, Eric convinces Vince to make him his manager. The boys fly to New York City for the summer, and Vince lands a date with Starlet Johansson. Season two, Vince is heartbroken over Mandy and almost quits the Aquaman movie till he changes his mind at the last second. Season 3, the boys secure the funding for Medellin from Nicky Rubenstein and hire Billy Walsh to direct it. The season ends on a high note with them presumably heading to Columbia to shoot the film. Season 4 finale takes place in Cannes. When Medellin is universally panned by the foreign press, they're only able to sell it for $1 and drama has sex with a Viking Quest fan on the beach. Season 5, broke and with Vince unable to land work, the boys return home to New York City. E's efforts land Vince the role of a lifetime in an upcoming Martin Scorsese movie, and Turtle gets hot and heavy with actress Jamie Lynn Seidler. Season 6, as Vince heads to Italy to film Ferrari, he's confronted by Matt Damon, Bono, and LeBron James over a charity contribution. Ari buys out Terrence, drama takes a break from acting, Turtle breaks up with E. Turtle breaks up with E. Turtle breaks up with Jamie, and E finally proposes to Sloan. Season 7, Ari and his wife's marriage fall apart. Vince is hooked on drugs after a damaged relationship with porn star Sasha Gray. The boys stage an intervention for Vince, and he gets the shit kicked out of him at Eminem's party by Eminem himself. And in the Season 8 series finale, Vince proposes to Sophia, a woman he spent one night with. Ari quits the agency, choosing his marriage over his work. Edith Sloan pregnant, even though they're not together at this point. And the entire show ends with the whole crew flying off to Italy for Vince's wedding. And in a post credit scene, the head of the Bittest Movie Studio calls Ari in Italy and offers him his job. Wow, that is just like talking about that. There is so much we have to get to in this podcast. I'm so fucking pumped for the next year or two of my life that will be dedicated to the show. But yeah, let's talk about this. My favorite finale, it's kind of a cop-out to say it's a tie, but it's, it's kind of a toss-up. Between seasons five and six, five is the Queen's Boulevard episode with the Scorsese cameo at the end, and six is just like this real feel-good, everyone's doing great, everyone's taking off for bigger and better things. The only one that's down is Turtle at the season six finale when uh, he's on that plane in New Zealand and he has to get from New Zealand over to Italy. I don't know, like... I think season five probably edges out season six slightly because season five was rough. Smoke jumpers, Vince just getting shit on over and over, and not a single offer coming through or thing working out. And of course, it was one of these like, oh, it all works out in the end thing, as we as we kind of love to poke fun at a lot on this podcast. But I just loved seeing the boys back in New York. I wish they'd done more episodes there. The Scorsese cameo is insane. Just that scene where, like, they're playing at Johnny Drama's pool hall or bar, probably preparing for Vince's role in The Color of Money. <laughs> hey, hello. Hello, Vince. Hey, it's Marty Scorsese. Hi, hello. Yeah, listen. You got a minute to talk? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, indeed I do. Okay, well, look, 
Gus was kind enough to send me some of the rushes in that picture you were in about the forest fires or whatever. And I saw them and I thought you were terrific. And I'd love to offer you a part in my new picture. Really? Yeah. It's a, a reimagining of the Great Gatsby. Modern day, uh, set in the Upper West Side of New York. And I think he'd be perfect for Nick Carraway. What do you think uh, of that? Um, amazing. Great. If you'd like to come in and talk about the details. Okay. Okay. See you soon then. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Uh, I'm gonna be in a Scorsese movie. God, correction! You're gonna be the lead in a fucking Scorsese film. Find out that, like, all of E's hard work was not for nothing. The end, when Vince and E, you know, kind of reconcile, and then there's that fucking iconic shot of the boys, like, strutting down Sunset Boulevard, walking past all these sports cars, and you've got these, like, insanely hot models, like, whipping their heads around to be like, oh, that's Vinny Chase. I don't know, it just... It does it for me. It hits me in all the right, like, endorphins. I, I don't know if that made sense, but I. So that one slightly edges out because of the like redemptive arc of that finale. It also was probably the last gasp of this show making sense and or living in somewhat of a reality, as much of a reality as Entourage can live in. <laughs> Hey guys, I wanted to quickly talk to you about CBD.com. One of the biggest problems I've come across when trying to track down CBD is that the industry is largely unregulated, and as a result, you never really know what you're going to get. As a result, CBD.com, which is basically the Amazon of CBD, has taken extra precautions to make sure all of the products meet federal guidelines. This means the only anxiety you'll have to deal with is the existential dread you wake up with every morning. And good news, CBD can help take care of that too. So check out the products at CBD.com. That's spelled C-B-D-E-E.com. And now, back to Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, The Entourage Podcast. Hey, JR, what's up, man? Love the podcast. Listen to it every week. Uh, quick question. Do you think there will ever be another Entourage spinoff slash movie slash anything at all? Maybe an Ari Gold spinoff show or anything like that? Love to hear what you say, man. Thank you. This question is asked a lot of both Doug Allen and every person who's ever been involved with Entourage. What's funny is I feel like a lot of the actors would be open to it. I've heard Jerry Ferrara, Kevin Dillon, not so much Kevin Connolly or Adrian Grenier, but those two guys have expressed interest. The person who's super against it is Doug Allen. Senior editor at Complex, Fraser Tharp, has been on the podcast a few times and he's interviewed Doug Allen, and he did it for the 15-year uh, anniversary of the Entourage pilot. And when he spoke to Doug Allen, he like said to him, "Hey, we'd love it if you could like reimagine an episode of Entourage in 2019." And Doug Allen basically responded with, "That sounds like I'm writing more Entourage, which I do not want to do." Little inside baseball: I've spoken to Doug Allen a little bit, and he has expressed to me that he just doesn't feel like talking about the show anymore so that kind of exhaustion uh, I, do, I don't see it happening unfortunately which is super sad um i bet jeremy piven would be all for an ari gold spinoff and i'm sure he regrets not doing something like that back in the day he opted to go the uh, movie star route if you guys remember the ill-fated film the goods starring jeremy piven um, because his career hasn't exactly gone very well in the past two or three years i'll just leave it at that He's a touring stand-up comic now, um, so if he's in your city, check him out. And if you talk to him, ask him to come on the podcast. JR, this is Caleb, and I'm a fan of the pod, and I'm right here in SF just waiting to be a guest. 
Anyways, my question is from season three. According to Ari, if Vince quit A2, he could be sued due to his contract. Why is it that Alan Gray or slash the studio could fire Vince with impunity? Is it as simple as California being an at-will state? Thanks. Caleb, I don't know who or what lawyer you're confusing me with here, but I do not have a good answer for this question. Where's your client, Ari? Oh, we're all good. Listen, it's a done deal. <clears throat> Vince feels so bad about this. He said, forget about the 12-5. We'll do it for the 10. But he wouldn't come to a breakfast with me? No, it's not that. It's fucking actors. They think they have all the power. Alan, Vince is a good kid. Fuck Vince, Ari. And fuck you. Okay, then. Mm-mm. Yeah, all right. What's the problem? The problem is, I needed you last night to talk some sense to Vince. I spoke to Vince. He told me everything was under control. You tell him it was okay to skip that breakfast meeting, E? What breakfast? Vince didn't tell me anything about any breakfast. Alan wanted one. Vince wouldn't go. Ah, oh, Jesus. All right, you know what? I'm pulling up to the house right now. I'll have him call Alan and apologize. No, 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 you know what? It's too late for sorries. Vince is out. Jake Gyllenhaal is in. Brokeback motherfucking Aquaman. Take that, bitch. The way I had always seen it, and if there's a lawyer listening or anyone that has any experience in uh, the legal profession, please respond. Please DM me. I'll get it out to the listeners uh, in a later episode. But I had always understood it as... Vince's contract said that if Aquaman 1 did well, then he would be locked in to do an Aquaman 2 and 3. That's how a standard film contract works these days for actors. And so that's the way I always understood it. And because Vince was refusing to do Aquaman 2 or was demanding too much money, the way that the contract worked out, Alan Gray was able to just tip him to the curb and hire Jake Gyllenhaal, probably at the original price. I think it was $12 million if I'm not mistaken. But honestly, I don't have an answer for that. Didn't get my law degree like my father. I spent too much time writing in a notebook in high school and trying to be on the N1 mixtape tour. Hey JR, it's Alex Hill underscore model extra. How are you? Um, so my question for the voice note session, what did you think of the Entourage movie? Did you think it was the perfect end to the TV show? Now, if you had done it, how would you have done it? Just interested to see what you thought of it. Let me know. Thanks, mate. Another familiar voice. Alex, great to hear from you. Dialing in all the way from the UK. Love hearing from international fans of both Entourage and the podcast. So, the Entourage movie. So, I'm in what I believe to be the minority of people who really didn't mind the Entourage movie. I mean, look, the last season of the show was rocky, to say the least. And just, I mean, just talking about the series finale a few questions ago with Vince's marriage, Sloan and E's bullshit, it gave me PTSD for when I watched the show that I love end kind of unsatisfactorily in 2011. That's a word. I just made it up. So seeing all my favorite people back together again three years later for the Entourage movie and then on the big screen, I'll be honest, it just fucking made me happy. Now, the plot of the movie was basically just kind of like three Entourage episodes jammed into one. There were way too many celebrity cameos, which was almost comical, to be honest. I really wish they could have dialed that back a lot, to be frank. But a lot of the plot points of the movie 
drama sex tape, Vince wanting to direct his next movie, Turtle trying to land a date, Ari dealing with like a difficult money guy. Those things all remind me of the entourage of old. Now, they weren't throwing 95 anymore like they were back in like 07 or 08, but they were all pretty solid plot lines to what overall was like a really nice way to end the show. I honestly walked out of the movie theater with a smile on my face. Drama winning a fucking Golden Globe, I mean, it was, it was perfect. Now, I know I'm in the minority, but let's just be honest, I'm an Entourage fan. I mean, I started this fucking podcast, and you're listening to this fucking podcast because we're all Entourage fans. I know I poked fun at the show, I mean, that's part of the job, but... At the end of the day, I, I love everything about it. So there's not much I would change about the movie. I probably definitely wouldn't have included Sloane being pregnant and it ending on them welcoming a kid in. That felt like a little too daytime TV for them. Maybe like Sloane and E are just chasing a toddler around in a couple scenes. Make that less of the main plot of the movie. Oh, and you can bet your ass we are doing like three full episodes of this podcast when we do it to the Entourage movie when all this is done. Alex sent along another question about my favorite cameo, so let's take a listen. I was wondering, what, who's been your favorite guest cameo on the show? Now, this could be a guest who's been on for like 10 seconds, or it could be one of the longer guests. So, yeah, just been wondering, there's so many, like, who's been your favorite? Like, Anna Faris is definitely one of mine. I thought she, was, she did a stand-up job on the show, which she was brilliant. Thanks. Alex, you have such a comforting voice. I could fall asleep to you reading me like a Charles Dickens novel. So as most of you should know, back in September of this year, the eight-year anniversary of the Entourage finale, I ranked every single celebrity cameo in Entourage for Complex.com. That was something that me and Fraser cooked up together, and I wrote that for the website. I spent my entire fucking Labor Day weekend in a room in Hilton Head, South Carolina, re-watching scenes from Entourage and ranking them together for everyone's enjoyment. That's just how much I care about the show and how much of a nut job I am. So I have a few answers for this. Well, first off, if you haven't read that piece, please go back and read it. I put a lot of time, sweat, and tears into that thing. So, uh, okay, they weren't my tears. They were actually my wife's tears. But anyways, I'll link to it in the show notes for today's uh, episode. So I'm going to give you three. First one is in Return to Queens Boulevard, Season 5, Episode 12. And no, it is not Marty Scorsese. It is actually Olympian Michael Phelps. Now, this episode, which is the Season 5 finale, it's a top 5 entourage episode. Namely because the majority of it takes place in New York, and because of the Scorsese cameo in the 25th hour of the show. I like the split-second Phelps cameo. Here's why. At the time, he was coming off the 2008 Beijing Olympics, where he established himself as the most dominant and decorated Olympian in history. He definitely could have asked for more screen time in this episode. But for whatever reason, he didn't, and we're left with this really nice little nod to him, just kind of bumping into E on the street, as opposed to some dopey character or subplot where he convinces us of something that we already knew, which is that he couldn't act. So I like that one. That's my first favorite cameo. My second one is another brief, less than 10 second cameo, just like Michael Phelps. And that's from the episode One Car, Two Car, Red Car, Blue Car, which is episode three from season six. And that is the very diffable 50 cent cameo. Yo, Turtle. Yo, Curtis, what's up? What's up, man? See you out here in your daddy's car. Okay. 
Don't right. be somber. Okay. This should look good. <laughs> I may be biased, obviously, but this is the perfect belly laugh cameo from a celebrity who you wouldn't expect to see in that moment, who would definitely know Turtle in the Entourage universe, and who also just has like a great sense of humor about themselves. If you follow 50 Cent on social media, He's a fucking gangbanger from Detroit who fell ass backwards into billions of dollars because of vitamin water. He is just like on cloud nine and just loves to have fun with it. You know, this moment came at one of the first times Turtle's deciding he wants more out of life than freeloading off of his best friend or his girlfriend. So going for a drive in a new Ferrari and getting heckled by Curtis Jackson III, it just feels so much like a dead-on entourage cameo. It's hilarious and it's just kind of exceedingly cool. But if I have to name my favorite cameo, it's a little expected, it's a little stereotypical, it's gotta be Kanye West. No Tan Do, the penultimate episode in season four, the boys can't get out of LAX, and after they turn down a ride on Sidney Pollock's private jet, because there aren't enough seats, which doesn't make any fucking sense to me, Kanye West walks in. So what now, Ari? Turtle. What's up, man? Kanye, what's up, man? How you doing? I've been good. I've been good? How does Turtle know Kanye? Yo, this, this is Turtle. Kanye! Going, Ari Gold, how are you? How I you called doing? your manager by you and I sitting down for a little meet and greet. You know my boy Vinny, right? Yeah, I, I know Vince. Hi, <laughs> what's, what's up, up, Kanye? How you been? I'm good. Where you headed? Nowhere. We got no plane, man. Where you guys heading? We're going to London. We're just chilling out for a second. How much room you got? I mean, we got a little room. <laughs> you feel like making a quick stop in Cannes? Not really. I mean... <laughs> You'd be really helping us out. Yeah, I mean, like... Who we know in Cannes? Everybody. Everybody's over there. You really mean a lot to us. Come on, Kanye. Uh, I, I guess we're going to Cannes. You have to think that. This episode aired in the late summer 2007. In just two weeks, Kanye is releasing his highly anticipated third studio album, Graduation. Not only does he save the day and give everyone a lift to France, but he debuts a brand new song from the album, over the end credits, a song that would not stop being played in my college CD player for the next two years. That song is, of course, Good Life with T-Pain. Kanye was the perfect celebrity desk for Entourage. He embodies the generation of people who watched the show from start to finish, my generation. This cliche that's been attributed to the show that it all works out in the end, it's just that. It's 100% the case. It all works out in this scene. But we, that's what we want. We want it to all work out, doesn't it? This is this, a simple show. It's a show about friendship. It's about life. It's about having a good time. At the end of the day, there's just something uncomplicated and joyous in watching people you enjoy doing things you'd enjoy doing. Like flying with Kanye West on his private jet to tan, con, whatever. Welcome to the good life indeed. JR, what's up, man? Jules here again. So I have two questions. I'll make them quick. Uh, first question would be, if you could be on any episode of Entourage, what episode would it be, and what role would your character play? Jules, good to hear from you again. Thanks for submitting your question. I love this question because it's one that I asked a lot of my guests who are actors, and we've gotten some really cool answers. Uh, I remember Matt Broussard said he'd be like some rich, well-to-do actor that like Vinny beats out for a part or something like that. I really like that answer. So I've thought a lot about this, and you know, the fun answer is, like, I'd love to be one of the guys in, like, Seth Green's crew when he did some the brawl in Vegas with E-Drama and Turtle. But my serious answer in terms of if I was, like, a working actor in Hollywood and I could land any role on my favorite television show, Entourage, 
I would like to play Scotty Lavin. Bob, what you do not know about me is that I am 24-7. That is my middle fucking name, Scotty 24-7 Lavin. What that means is that every time you turn around, anywhere, anytime, you will be looking at this. That's just great, Scotty. That's just what I want to be looking at while I'm sniffing a line of blow off her ass, your fucking face. That really completes the image. Nothing against Scott Kahn, the actor who portrays this Hollywood manager, formerly of the Murray Burnson Company, who later becomes the co-founder and partner of the Murphy Lavin Group. I just don't think he did enough with the character and the character was fleshed out enough to become a part of the entourage, which is what he basically is in season eight and into the movie. I just, like, pie in the sky, want that for myself. I want to hang with the boys. I want to be one of the crew. I want to be accepted. So this role of, like, initially butting heads with Eric, befriending Vince, helping Vince through his recovery bullshit, and then at the end being part of the crew, I think that's an interesting arc that a guy like me might be able to pull off. Now, I'm no actor. I did stand-up for eight years. I'm a writer by trade. I don't think I could do a better job than Scott Con. I just think someone could do more with the role, and if it has to be anyone, might as well be me. So, sorry, Scott Con. You're the son of one of the most famous actors of all time. I think you're going to be fine with that Hawaii 5.0 money. Let your boy, JR, reprise this role. All right, one more question. Another one from Jules. A really good one that I might have to steal and include in future seasons of this podcast. Take it away, Jules. Second question, a little bit more deeper, would be, what episode or season resonated with you the most as far as emotions or something you were going through in your personal life, uh, you know, that hit home for you? Just something like that. All right, man, take it easy. So I mentioned this earlier, but I consider my age range to be the perfect demographic, in my mind, of the show. The show aired from 2004 to 2011. That was the midpoint of high school through the year after college for me. As all the men out there listening know, those are some formidable years in a man's life. So Entourage, in some ways, shaped me. So in the heyday of Entourage, let's say like 2006, 2007, so season 3A and 3B of the show, or the seasons that we just got done recapping on this podcast, those are kind of considered the heyday of Entourage. And those are when I'd consider to be John Hickey's heyday. I was a college athlete. I was living in downtown Chicago. I was out on my own for the very first time without a care in the world. And I was spending every Sunday night hanging with my boys from Queens. Fast forward a little bit. I'm a senior in college in 2010, and I'm going nowhere fast. I hurt my back. I was in a relationship that was extremely toxic and very immature. And in retrospect, if I had stuck it out, would have doomed me for a life of mediocrity from that point on. She dumps me. I crash and burn pretty hard, just like Vince does in that season of Entourage, season seven. And then 2011 is when I finally kind of like figure out who I am. Nobody knows who they are in high school and college, even right out of college. I was still in the early points of figuring it out, but I started doing stand-up comedy in 2011, continued doing that for eight years, all but abandoned the college degree and just started writing on the side feverishly. Right in 2011 and 2012, I had this idea, and that idea was that I needed to move to California. I knew nobody in California. I had no real reason for going out here except that I'd always felt like it was a place that was calling my name. Now, why did I think that? I think it's because every Sunday night I was hanging in Beverly Hills 
with Vince, Ari, and the boys. If I hadn't experienced Entourage for those years, I would not be living in California now. Now, if I hadn't moved to California, I wouldn't have met my wife. If I wouldn't have moved out here, I wouldn't have started this podcast. I wouldn't have decided at the age of 30 that I'm giving up my highly lucrative tech sales job and becoming a full-time professional writer. Entourage is all about going for it, and it inspired me to fucking go for it. Now, I don't live in SoCal. I live in NorCal. Uh, I don't write for movies. I write fucking TV commercials. But I'm, I'm on my way, and I have Entourage to thank for that. This may be a little hyperbolic and a little melodramatic, but it's those years of Entourage, those later seasons, which aren't even considered the better ones. So seasons like 6, 7, and even parts of 8 that I really look back on and have these intense memories of something big happening in my life, some major change, and then that Sunday, you know, Vince didn't sucker punch by Eminem, or the boys playing golf with Mark Wahlberg and Tom Brady. It's an incredible show, and I think it's done incredible things for a lot of people, and it'd be difficult for me to, like, go to a party or some sort of, like, adult function and look someone in the eye and go, I have Entourage to thank for a lot of where I am right now, but I can definitely share that with you guys on my Entourage podcast, can't I? I think I'm going to throw in the towel on that question. There's no better way to end this episode. Thank you, Jules, for the question. Thank you all for submitting some really good questions. I want to keep doing these episodes where we like do these call-in type things in between seasons. Quit asking me to be on the podcast. It's nothing personal. I'm trying to grow this thing. I can't have some random dude off the street on. Maybe we'll do that for like some sort of special thing where I can raffle off the opportunity or some shit like that, but trying to grow this pod. I'm trying to take it up into the Hollywood Hills. The only way I'm going to do that is by getting bitter and bitter guests on every week. Hope you guys have an incredible holiday weekend. Stay tuned for a special episode dropping next Monday, right before Christmas. Then I'm going to take a few weeks off. I'm going to Cabo. I'm going to spend some time with my beautiful wife, and then we will be back on the horse in 2020 for season four of our favorite HBO dramedy, Entourage. But you guys got me thinking. Maybe we should do a little trip together. Hell yeah. Where to? Oh, you. Oh, Pamir, Pamir. Cabo San Lucas is beautiful to stand. Isn't this spring break? Well, I hope not. E would be real upset if he missed spring break. E always did appreciate a good old-fashioned wet t-shirt contest. Nah, he's gonna have a great time. Excuse me, can I have another shot of Patron? Oh, those poor for All right, get it in here. Cabo. Cabo. Woo. Yeah.